Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Stars could shine between the lines If you would let yourself go Find some place you know You can use your words, use your hands You can change the world, just pretend Express yourself, take a chance and you'll see It's time to express yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. It is not our purpose to become each other. It is to recognize each other, to learn to, to see the other and honor him for what he is. And that's a quote by Herman Hess. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on Voice America Kids Network. I'm Zara Hostin, and today the theme for our show is the gift of uniqueness. And I'm Maria Wong. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions and brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Today, we are reading a chapter from our signature book, Be The Star You Are by Teens, written by Cynthia Bryan with 38 contributors. This chapter is The Gift of Uniqueness by Alan Evans, a professional speaker on teens and tweens and the author of Grab the Queen Power. So without further ado, this is The Gift of Uniqueness by Alan Evans. Releve means to lift up, to rise. Jody Schilling said of the name she chose for her studio, it explains my story. Many times throughout my life, I felt pushed down. I was told I couldn't accomplish what I set out to do. I was told I needed to change everything about myself, and I believed it. Jody grew up in small town Indiana, and when she was young, her farmer father had a hard time making ends meet. We didn't have much money, and I had to wear the same clothes over and over. I was the child with the cooties, the one the other kids called Grody Jody. Add to that excessive shyness and an almost crippling tendency to perfectionism, Jody consistently scored in the lower levels in reading and math. Then there was the lisp and the funny voice. All these things added up, she said. I was misunderstood, which fed my insecurities. By middle school, she had conquered her perfectionism, and with hard work, her grades soared. Her parents' finances improved, and she enrolled in dance and singing lessons to help her overcome her shyness. She loved performing arts and continued them throughout high school. Joe Rowan, the founder of the dance department, saw Jody perform and encouraged her to audition for Rowan's program at Oklahoma City University, where she accepted a scholarship. It's about the journey and not about the end results, Rowan told Jody. If you're not happy with the journey, you shouldn't be doing this. Jody created a furor when she signed up for acting lessons her junior year. She didn't know students weren't allowed to enroll in the dance and acting programs at the same time. I wanted to take a few acting classes, she said. Even though it was even though it caused problems, the dean of the acting department gave her his support and Jody discovered what she really wanted to do. Her teacher hated her voice and told her she would never make it in acting. Falling back on dancing abilities, she auditioned auditioned for the chorus in sh- the Chicago summer stock. I blew the dance audition, she confessed. Afterwards, I decided to make a joke. They laughed, and I decided to tell a few more. They kept laughing. By the end of the day, I had been invited to play the lead. 
Jody headed to New York City to pursue her Broadway dream. And the only problem with that idea is that I really couldn't sing, she said. She tr- then tried acting. Acting coaches, acting coach after acting coach told her she needed to change her voice. I hired a speech therapist and voice coach. Both tried to teach me to talk in a lower register. It didn't work. She then hired a career coach who tried to change everything else about her. When my money ran out, I finally had to stop. I had worked so hard and paid people lots of money. (laughs) What a waste. That's when she finally started thinking about her strengths. I was trying so hard to become someone I wasn't. No one was hiring me. She decided if she sounded like a cartoon character, then maybe she'd have more success on TV. She auditioned for an L.A. agent. You're unique, the agent told her. You're special. Jody left New York and never looked back. Rowan had been right. Finding her path had been about enjoying the journey. Jody found the more she accepted herself, the more work she got. The most valuable lesson I learned and will never forget is you need to be who you are. Be yourself because that's the best self you can be. That's the self who will get you work. That's the self who will open doors. That's the self who will rise to the top. That's the self who will releve. An exercise we have is accept who you are. Take a moment to evaluate your talents and strengths. If you can't think of anything unique about yourself, ask someone close to you, like your mom or best friend, to help. Write down your gifts and pledge to cultivate your uniqueness. You can do this by taking a class or joining a club of people with a similar interest. As Jody Schilling says, the most valuable lesson I learned and will never forget is you need to be who you are. Yeah, I think that's just overall a really powerful story because it shows that, you know, yeah, and so, you know, she, despite pressure from society, despite pressure from all these acting coaches and stuff, Jody really um, took the initiative herself to just be herself and trust in herself, and I think it's really important, um, I mean, I just think the story illustrates really nicely that it's important to be yourself and embrace yourself, too, and not be afraid to embrace yourself. No, exactly. I think it's like such an inspiring story, especially it seems she faced so many adversities early in her life from being bullied and then sort of having trouble like with all of these people who are telling her to change who she is. And like what's really cool is when she finally, as you said, you know, just accepted herself. She was really able to succeed and be happy, which I think are both really important. Yeah, definitely. I think it really does relate to, you know, people our age as well, because You know, in high school, there's a lot of pressure to be something that you're not, especially, you know, even when you find your own, like, when you find a community that you really like, that you really are enthusiastic to be a part of, even sometimes then, like, you know, there are people that are going to want you to be something that you're really not. And I think really our best work, like Jody said in her story, is produced when um, we actually are true to ourselves. Um, And that actually reminds me, you know... um, we're reading the Scarlet Letter right now in class. Nice. And, uh, yeah. And so, <laughs> um, so, you know, it might just like, I don't know, a lot of kids don't like it because they're like, oh my God, like you don't like, I don't know, Hawthorne just goes on for like 10 pages, like with like two sentences that just like ramble on and on. Um, but then our teacher today said, you know, the book can really be summed up in just two words um, that Hester, the main character, says to Dimsdale, who is basically, um, she commits adultery with Dimsdale, right? And so, um, and then so Dimsdale is, um, he's like a preacher, but like nobody knows that he committed adultery with Hester and he like hides it and he feels all guilty and stuff. Um, So then she meets him in the forest and she says, be true. Um, And, you know, our teacher was like, those two words, be true, um, kind of sum up the book 
completely because Hester is true to herself because even though she's, you know, different from the rest of her society, she's unique and that's what makes her special and that's why she, you know, does end up being really the only character in that book that you can relate to, that you like, and the only character that has the guts to, you know, do something outside of the norm. Yeah, I agree. And, like, going back to the Scarlet Letter, like, even though she may not be happy all of the time, I think she's the only one in that book who's content with her life. Just because, like, and I think it's so important for teenagers, like, especially, like, us at a young age to realize we need to accept who we are and, like, use our uniqueness to, like, our benefit and have it shine through rather than trying to, like, um, I just know there's, like, a lot of pressure to be something that maybe you don't necessarily love to do or it's not really you. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, I don't know, it's really, like, it's really easy to say, you know, just be yourself. Like, you know, it's really not that hard to just embrace yourself. But I think it is, like you were saying, there's a lot of pressure um, that makes it really, really hard to just be yourself. You know, it's not that easy. Um, And I think, like, I don't know, I've seen it also, like, a lot of, um, you know, like, I'll go to, like, clubs at lunch or something. um, And there are clubs that I'm, like, really interested in. But then, like, a lot of people are like, you know, it'll be like feminism club or something, but a lot of people don't want to go to feminism club because like they are afraid of the word feminism. They're afraid of like being outcasted because, you know, they believe in feminism. Um, and that's like, is that is what makes them unique, but it's also what makes them, you know, different in a sometimes like way that can um, lead to them being outcasted. So I think, I don't know, there is definitely the struggle there. What about you, Maria? Have you experienced any of that like at your school? No, definitely. I would say we can see it. Um, my club has WAC Club, which is Women's Awareness Club. And oh, a lot of people at my school, like just going back to that, sort of the idea of a feminist is often misconstrued to the idea of like a feminazi, or someone right. believing solely women's rights rather than men's. But I think there are some clubs where, or just activities in general or something that you do that you might receive backlash for. But honestly, like, I know for me, like my freshman, sophomore year, like I would choose not to go to clubs because none of my friends were or people would be weird. But I realize now I probably should have. I would have been happy and made friends from that and like just getting over that fear of it because good things should be able to come out of it. And if not, if there's a failure, just like going back to the chapter, you will learn things from that failure that will be valuable towards your journey in life. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's really good that you brought up the whole, you know, when you were a freshman, sophomore, you were afraid that, um, you know, since your friends weren't coming, that was actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And I I had the same fear, you know, and I still sometimes have the same fear, like, oh, you know, I'm going to all these clubs, and some of my friends don't come to these clubs, so maybe I'll lose those friends. But I think, you know, the people, your true friends are the ones that like, like kind of provide a sense of belonging and community for you. And that's what, you know, clubs really do help with. Um, I also just think like, yeah, you might lose a friend or two, um, but you gain so many like valuable friends from like the clubs you're involved with or whatever. Um, And that's actually, and they're really your true friends. So I think a lot of um, what being unique has to do with is just being true to yourself and being true um, in general. It's because that is when, you can achieve the greatest version of yourself is when you're true to yourself. Oh, exactly. And like, I think that you're like, as you were saying, your true friends will accept you for your differences and how you're unique and will love you for them. So it's like, I know, especially like high school, middle school, like friends in general, it's a very sticky subject sometimes just because, um, just friends in general, it's not necessarily, um, just like trying to find friends and like stay in a group. I know it can be difficult. So 
like the idea of losing a friend could be hard, but really we just need to focus on accepting our uniquenesses and as Jody said, cultivating them. Right. I totally agree. And, you know, just um, learning to value individuality over conformity and kind of embracing our quirks that, you know, really do make us human. Well, thank you, Maria, for that awesome discussion. And, yeah. It was. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I love that chapter, too. I think it illustrates everything that being the star you are stands for embracing, you know, the greatness of who you are. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but it was w- wonderful to discuss the power of uniqueness. During the break, everyone, be sure to check out our charity site at btsya.org, which stands for Be the Star You Are, 501c literacy and positive media charity i'm zara hosnane and i'm maria wong support our show and these amazing segments by donating to the be the star you are charity that brings you this program for more information on how to do this go to be the star you are.org and follow our blog again this website is be the star you are.org don't go anywhere as we continue our talk about the gift of uniqueness Listen, the later it gets. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. We didn't invent Kid Talk. We perfected it. And at a very young age, you're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to our uplifting, inspiring program. I'm Zara Hassanin, and you are listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids Network, brought to you by the Be The Star You Are charity. This week's topic is the gift of uniqueness. And I'm Maria Wong. Joining us today is Asia Gonzalez. Hi, Asia. Hey, guys. It's so good to be back after a bit of a break. Uh, When I saw the topic that we were doing for the show and I saw the word uniqueness, I kind of thought of today's age and the importance of personal branding because we do have a giant leap into technology you know we're using social media a lot more uh we're basing who we are um off of what we show on social media we have our instagram we have our facebook twitter we kind of now post pretty much anything and everything about our lives onto the internet for everybody else to see which is actually pretty cool because you think of how well we are able to communicate with each other uh now that we have this use of technology right at our fingertips. And I thought of how social media is a huge platform for building a personal brand. Uh, We got YouTube, um, especially YouTubers who have their channels, who have millions of subscribers and everybody knows who they are. And we have Twitter users, we have Instagram users who have their Instagram accounts that are famous for the the photos photos that we post. post. 
um, which is really cool to see the platform that they have. So, and I was thinking, being on this show creates a personal brand for yourself, actually. You know, we're kind of establishing what our opinions are. We're establishing who we are as a person. Um, and we're able to just talk to people and, and really get our personality out there. And when I think of YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, I think of uh, the people who have their own channels on YouTube. Uh, we could think of multiple YouTube uh, YouTubers out there. We got, uh, what's their name? Oh, PewDiePie. He has oh, yes. millions of, descri- of subscribers. Yeah, he's insanely successful. He is. It's crazy. He has a lot of viewers. He ha- he makes a lot of money from the amount of viewers that he has. But everybody know who PewDiePie is. He's the guy with the video games. He uh, he's actually really funny. I've watched a video of you know some video game that he was playing. I don't remember what video game it was, but he was actually really funny, and it was so easy to just listen to his video and watch his video because it kind of felt like he was just talking to you. And that is one of the most important things about creating a personal brand is making yourself relatable and personable and overall inspiring. Uh, When you create a personal brand for yourself, you are unique from the rest of the crowd. People see who you are and they say uh, they can take something that you have created for yourself. And when they see that, they will relate it to you. Uh, Like, for example, we got uh, Kylie Jenner. She has her own lips uh, lip kit. And when we see lipsticks or when we think of makeup, uh, one of the names that people can most likely think of is Kylie Jenner because she has her own very, very successful lip kit brand that she's created. And the Kylie Jenner or really the Jenner name has its own brand itself, which makes them super unique and everybody knows who they are. So really, when you think of a personal brand, it makes you kind of like a leader to other people because you are inspirational. People look up to you. They watch what you do constantly. Uh, And when you create that personal brand for yourself, you have created a way for your viewers or your customers or anybody who is paying attention to what you do. You've made a way for them to be able to really relate to who you are. They will be able to see what you're doing. They see what you do throughout your life. uh, And, you know, it allows them to kind of get a glimpse of who you are rather than just being a super secret person or a super secret uh, kind of personality to where nobody will be able to relate to at all. Because if you think about it, we have if we have a celebrity that is super successful, everybody loves them, but they do not create that personal brand for themselves and they don't allow other people to relate to them, it doesn't really make them all that interesting. We think of them only as a successful uh, person who makes a lot of money. It's not, oh, it's so-and-so. She has this Instagram account and this Twitter account and she's always posting about her fans. She's always a posting about what she's doing you know I was doing the same thing as I as she was yesterday she went to this spa earlier today and I went there last week that's my favorite spa to go to and when you do something like that it makes your viewers feel like they are a part of your life if you are allowing them to feel like they are important and that you wouldn't be anywhere uh you 
you wouldn't be there without them, uh, especially if you have like a blog, if you have a YouTube channel, if you have something that you've created and people are there to support you and you've created that personal brand to allow them to relate to you, it makes it so much easier for you to create more opportunities for success because the more uh, you've created that personal brand, the more connections you're able to create and receive, which makes you have more room for opportunity. Okay. Yeah. I definitely think personal branding is so important. Recently, this summer, I was at the Washington Journalism and Media Conference, Mm -hmm. and we had, we spent two hours talking about personal brands and coming up with like an elevator pitch. So I just like see it everywhere, like just the real the relevance of social media with that, but also being able to present yourself and your unique aspects to Mm -hmm. other people, like in a short and concise way, whether that be through searching through social media or talking to someone for a minute or two. Yeah, exactly. And I was actually in St. Louis this past weekend where we uh, had this huge symposium with, I can't even tell you how many kids were there, but we had two sessions and there were about 13 speakers and each session had about 40 kids in each room. So you can imagine how many kids that is at once. It was really crazy. But it was so awesome to see that all these kids were here at the symposium wanting to learn about entrepreneurship and wanting to learn how they can get their passion started. And with my session, it was a workshop where they came in and it was how they can make a first, a positive first impression in the business world. And part of that was creating a personal brand for yourself. And uh, I had this activity for them where it was just something small, but they really enjoyed it. It was, uh, I got these name tags where it said, hello, my name is. And instead of writing their name, they wrote something that described themselves. They wrote positive, they wrote smart, genius, or fabulous, Mm, something cool that they felt described them. So it wasn't just their name, it was something about them that made them unique. So that was one thing that we did. And it was really just a workshop on how they can make a positive first impression, creating connections, uh, creating that personal brand for themselves so people can see who they are and they can stand out from the crowd. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think with that activity, it's really cool that you're emphasizing the like, positive aspects of like being unique because you know me and Maria in the last segment we were talking about kind of the struggles of like embracing um your uniqueness but I think Mm -hmm. like yeah and so but I think um with something like that just kind of shows you know if you do embrace your uniqueness if you do embrace what makes you special then really it's good for not like it's good for everyone and it's especially good for you because you know you're making such a strong impression on people mm-hmm. um and they can really just you're just more approachable and you're more relatable um I think exactly. that's uh yeah for sure and um you know and I think a lot of people with um like you know the social media age a lot of them say oh you know what's happened to our privacy um we had there's like no sense of privacy privacy anymore you know everything about everyone is that really a good thing I mean I think in a lot of ways it is because it really does um allow us to connect more Mm -hmm. like you were saying Asia um and so like I don't know I think there's something to be said for privacy for sure but I also think you know if you have all these unique things about you why not let everyone know or what's wrong with you know posting on social media and telling people oh you know this is what's unique about me I think it's just I think I don't know a lot of times we um kind of like demonize that like privacy loss that we get with social media but like I think in most ways social media is actually pretty positive because it helps you embrace your uniqueness Yeah, well, I think that with social media, you kind of choose what you put on there. So it's not necessarily a matter of loss of privacy. 
I think uh, that you really choose what you put on there, which is another reason why personal branding is so important because you can choose what you get to put on there, uh, what you choose to allow people to see, which is really cool. But it can be devious uh, at some times because people might lie about who they are or they might not put the right impression out there. But it is useful with uh, with social media, creating that personal brand, because another part of creating that personal brand is kind of really accepting and really taking responsibility and owning the the skills that you have, which is another reason why I used that activity at the symposium with making them write that positive word on their name tag. It wasn't just who they were, and it could have been a skill as well, because I made the point of... You see all these corporations, you see all these people who have created something successful for themselves, and it was because they created that personal brand. They allowed people to see who they were, but they also showed what their skills were. You see all these corporations, you can think of any company that you can, and they're all based off of what that person was really good at. They created their personal brand off of their skills, off of the talents that they have, and they created that business or that company or that successful uh, journey that they're on right now because of who they were and because of the skills that they have, which is really cool if you think about it, because if you're not good at something, how are you, how are you really going to make a success out of it? And if you are great right. at something, you can make something out of it and make a future out of it, which is really great with your personal brand. If you create something that people can relate to and people really, really like, because people do love content. It's, you know, you can see that with all the social media that yes. we have. People love content. You can see right. uh, Vine, you got Twitter, you got Instagram, YouTube. There are constantly new channels coming up and there are constantly new things coming up that people like and relate to. So it's really interesting to see how we can create our personal brands and make ourselves known and unique out there. Yeah, I totally agree with all that. And so, you know, thanks so much, Asia, for that awesome conversation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So during the break, everyone, be sure to check out our brand new site at radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com for photos, descriptions, links, and more. Also, please visit our charity site at bethestarur.org and watch our fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash bethestarur. Stay right here as we continue our discussion on uniqueness. Sometimes we may sound strange, but remember, we're just kids with opinions. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Show the world your smile. Be the star you are. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. 
Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. We don't care how you got here. We're just glad you showed up. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thank you for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. Our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. Today's topic is the gift of uniqueness. I'm Zara Hassanane. And I'm Maria Wong. For this segment, we are with Nick Redfern, who is a journalist, author, ufologist, cryptologist, among many things. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks. Great. So um, going right into it, we were wondering what prompted you to write a book on the paranormal aspects of the Loch Ness Monster controversy? Well, I've always been interested in stories of sort of strange creatures like Nessie and Bigfoot ever since I was a kid. And my uh, parents took me on a trip to Scotland when I was about six years old and we spent a day at Loch Ness and my dad told me the story of the Loch Ness Monster. And that sort of really got me hooked. And when I left school... Um, I started working on a magazine in England called Zero, which was like an entertainment magazine. Um, and I did all the like the music section of the, of the magazine. And after doing that a couple of years, I thought, well, why not try and combine the background in journalism um, but apply it to investigating not regular news stories but things that were sort of my passion, like strange creatures like Bigfoot and Nessie. And uh, that's pretty much what I do full-time. I sort of travel around the world, you know, somebody tells me they've seen a, a lake monster or a Bigfoot, you know, I get out there, investigate it, speak to the witness, and then write a book about it. <laughs> wow, that's really cool, yeah, and I think, you know, it's really cool how you took your background from, like, telling stories from your background of, you know, um, kind of valuing stories a lot, and you made it into something real, because oftentimes I feel like we think, you know, oh, you know, like Nessie or, like, all these monsters, they're just, like, fantastic stories that we should never believe um Mm. but i think it's really important that you know you like interview these people you investigate and you find evidence for um you know these creatures and like their sightings and all that so what kind of real evidence do you present which suggests that nessies are supernatural or that they are real well there have actually been a number of very good photographs over the years um showing for example like a large like a humped back coming out of the water or a long neck arching out of the water at Loch Ness. And these reports go back, or the photographs at least, go back to the early 1930s. And there's uh, probably about 15 or 20 pretty good conclusive pictures showing something strange in the waters of Loch Ness. However, reports, the earliest report, the earliest documented report, actually goes back about 1,500 years. Um, So in other words, there's a long tradition of strange creatures having been seen in Loch Ness. It's not 
as some people think, you know, the local tourist industry decided to create it, you know, to make money. It, it's not like that at all. And um, when we're sort of looking for these things, we kind of use the same technology that we, you would lo use looking for any animal. Like, for example, um, night vision equipment. Um, and if you're going under the water, like sonar equipment, which can track large objects moving under the water. Um, so I always try and apply regular techniques, scientific techniques, in the same way that I would, you know, if I was looking for something like a, a mountain lion or an alligator, you know. Mm, and yeah. um, so, you know, th th that's basically the approach that I take, looking for evidence, getting witnesses to speak on the record. And, and as I said, really trying to treat it like a regular news investigation, you know. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that you said there's been so many photos, like at least 15 conclusive photos um, that really show that. Can you tell us about the connections between the monsters of Loch Ness and the famous occultist uh, Leicester Crowley? Yeah, well, Alistair Crowley was somebody who lived at Loch Ness in a house called Beleskin House, which actually burned down, unfortunately, last year. But um, oh. he was one of the world's most famous occultists ever. And um, he had this particular house in the early part of the 20th century. And he was someone who engaged in sort of like a lot of weird rituals and rites to try and summon up as he assume they were like paranormal creatures and things like this and mm. I don't think it's entirely coincidental that although there had been reports of the Loch Ness Monster before Crowley was at Loch Ness in the years afterwards when he was performing these um, supernatural rituals at the Loch there was a sudden increase in sightings of these creatures and that's happened mm. on a number of times when people have been to Loch Ness and try to perform sort of magical rites to try and conjure these creatures up, that it's almost as if it literally has happened. So that's why there is an argument that the Loch Ness monsters could be not sort of surviving dinosaurs or giant eels or something like that, but they could be actually something more paranormal along the lines of something like a ghost or, you know, that kind of thing. So it's a very, very controversial subject. And mm. even within, you know, what I do, there are a lot of people who disagree on the different theories. Yeah, hmm. that's really interesting. I think, you know, you kind of uh, showed like the different sides and, you know, you actually provided some like, you know, really solid evidence um, as to, you know, why we should believe the Loch Ness Monster. But, you know, what do you personally actually think? Do you think that the Loch Ness Monster is real or do you think that it's fake and that no, sometimes I, yeah. just... Well, I don't think it's a fake, but I think it could mm -hmm. go one of two ways. Either it is something paranormal or I think they could be something like giant eels. Now, eels would actually... Mm. Eels don't normally get to sort of very long lengths. The, the, the largest on record is only about 10 feet long. But some people claim to have seen what they thought were giant eels of sort of 20 to 30 feet long with bodies sort of the thickness of like an oil drum or something like that. Now, oh, wow. you know, the, the Scottish Tourist Board loves to promote the Loch Ness Monster. I'm sure they wouldn't really like to promote the Loch Ness Giant Eel because it just doesn't sound as cool, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, I think, you know, it's th that's one of the things is that uh, it, it's developed this sort of you know, famous um, 
imagery, if you like, and so people assume it is some sort of monster. But, I mean, I would always say to people, if it is a giant eel, you know, if you're faced with a 30-foot-long eel with a body the thickness of an oil drum, you're probably not going to argue that that's a monster if it comes charging towards you, you know. So, uh, right. No, exactly. I think it could um, be something like that. Where, yeah, so where did, like... Where were these sightings, like, of these giant eels? Was it, like, from scuba diving? Like, sw- like what was the context for it? Yeah, that's, that's a good question because we actually have several different ways in which people have reported these things. Um, for example, uh, there's a lot of sort of boat traffic that goes across Loch Ness. And okay. we get a number of reports from, like, ships, captains, and crews who have seen these things submerging and surfacing near the boats, as if they're perhaps attracted by the noise of the boats and wondering what it was even. Um, We actually do have a number of reports from divers. Um, One, for example, in the latter part of the 19th century, so we're talking about 120, 130 years ago, when a man went down under the water to actually um, examine uh, a wrecked ship that had sunk. And he said as he went down there, he saw this sort of huge frog-like animal staring at him from a a shelf uh, under the water, just... uh, you know, just looking at him, almost, he wondered if he was almost sort of sizing him up, ready for it to attack, so he <laughs> raced to the surface, and um, there have also been a number of reports from pilots flying over Loch Ness who claim to have seen these things um, swimming along, and, and of course, you always have a lot of tourists at Loch Ness as well, so very often, you know, we get a re- reports from tourists who just happen to have been in the right place at the right time. Yeah, and as, like, with your journalistic background, like, how do you handle these sources? Because I know, like, as a journalist myself, like, we always have to sort of examine mm. the sources and see if, they're, um, yeah. if they have veracity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's important when you're sort of investigating cases like this that you, you remain sort of balanced. You know, you don't sort of come across, mm-hmm. like, wide-eyed and open-mouthed. You know, yeah. you look at... <laughs> Yeah. You look at each case on its own merit, and I think that's important. And another important aspect is sort of becoming a good, um, you know, having a, having a good understanding of people's characters and be able to assess people's characters. And you know, I've interviewed probably hundreds and hundreds of uh, hundreds of people over the years, maybe a couple of thousand in various cases. And you know, having done that. You know, you you do become a good judge of character, and I think for that reason, it's you can pretty much tell when people are either trying to, you know, hoax you, or even if it's just mistaken identity. But I've found that most people who have had these experiences are just normal, regular, regular, credible people who just want to share their experience because they hope someone can help them understand what they saw. You know, rather than somebody, I've never had anybody come to me and said, "I'll," you know, tell. The, talk, the story only if you send me, you know, $50,000 or whatever. Yeah. In those sort of circumstances, you know, I would be suspicious. But most people just come across as genuinely puzzled by what they saw. Yeah, I know that de- definitely makes sense. And, um, you know, just going back to the monster itself, do you think, are there any reports of the monster, like, attacking anyone or, like, being, like, an evil force mm-hmm. or anything like that? Or is it mostly just, like, sightings that, like, don't really... Um, result in anything after that? No, actually, ironically, the very first or the earliest report we have on record from 565 AD, so we're talking about 1,500 years ago, that actually revolved around a report where 
a man had been killed by one of these creatures while crossing what's called the River Ness, which joins into Loch Ness. And Loch is just a Scottish term meaning lake. So you have the the lake okay. itself, and then you have this little river that goes off it. And there were reports of this sort of very violent creature swimming in the River Ness right on the edge of Loch Ness and uh, reportedly attacked this man who was swimming across the uh, the river and he died from the bites. And apparently it, it launched an attack on another man as well. So, um, you oh. know, it's interesting that these stories... We can document surfaced like 1,500 years ago in some of the early ancient English manuscripts. Um, oh, you know, wow. So it was long before, you know, the, the modern craze for Nessie began. Wow, that's so interesting that um, just like all of these articles and the fact that it's been traced back through history so mm. long, that's what's um, very surprising to me. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's really cool also that you go back all the way to like, you know, these archives almost i think it's you know it's really easy to like write off these monsters as like oh you know just like figments of people's imaginations and stuff like that but you know if there's like constant reports of it and that like it's you can trace it throughout the archives that's the same way you know we come up with history that's the same way we assess history so like i don't know it seems like we should be able to assess something like this um in the same way so thank you nick so much for this wonderful discussion during the break everyone be sure yeah, it was great. It's great to have you in. We'll be back with you next segment, so everyone stay tuned. During the break, be sure to check our charity site at bethestaryouare.org, which stands btsya.org, which stands for Be the Star You Are, 501c3 Literacy and Positive Media Charity. More info under events at our website at www.btsya.org. I'm Maria Wong. Please check out Nick at his website, nickredfern14.blogspot.com, and also visit our website, expressyourselfteenradio.com, for more information about the show. When we come back, we will continue our discussion with Nick. You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. Our program is Express Yourself, and I'm Zara Hassanane. And I'm Maria Wong. Today, the theme for our show is the gift of uniqueness. We are back with Nick Redfern. So, we've talked so much about the Loch Ness Monster. Would you like to tell us about your book, Nessie, and what that entails? Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, it's, it's sort of a historical look at the history of the Loch Ness Monster from literally about 1500 years ago right through to the present day and it looks at the the credible cases the photographs the witness reports and builds a case for uh, like a colony of unknown animals living deep within the waters of Loch Ness which is a very uh, large body of water it's about 22 miles long about a mile wide and about 800 feet deep so you know it's a large body of water where these things could hide but I talk about multiple different theories for what these things might be such as surviving relics from the dinosaur era giant eels Uh, but I focus more on the idea that these creatures are sort of not just weird, but really weird, possibly even <laughs> having paranormal origins rather than being normal flesh and blood animals. So, mm. you know, it crosses a lot of different areas, really. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And um, I think, did you mention that, like, it also talks about other animals, like, in the Loch Ness area? Yeah, well, that's that's one of the strange things, you know, it's... in. It's one thing to have reports of one kind of strange creature at Loch Ness, but we also get uh, other reports of weird creatures from around Loch Ness too. For example, a lot of people have reported seeing large black cats around about the size of mountain lions. Now, in the UK, there should not be anything like that anywhere, never mind at Loch Ness, but people do see them. You know, the biggest Mm. cats we have in England are pet cats. (laughs) You know, there's nothing like (laughs) else other than pet cats, or there shouldn't be. But, you know, it's weird that we get these big black cat reports at Loch Ness. And there's also um, a five-century-year-old story of a a huge bird-like animal that was seen flying around the skies of Loch Ness about in the 1600s. And, uh, And again, so in other words, Loch Ness is a very weird place with magicians and occultists and strange creatures and there've even been ufo sightings over loch ness so i kind of think that all of these things are somehow connected together because it just to me at least doesn't seem possible that you could have so many completely separate weird things all going on in one area you know yeah, definitely. Going back on just UF like sightings of UFOs, has there been any UFO connections to Nessie by chance? Well, not directly, but certainly there have been a lot of good UFO sightings over Loch Ness. And in 1971, there was a report of a man who was walking through the woods near the shore of Loch Ness, and he said that he saw this... Um, so almost like a cylinder-shaped object land down in this opening in the woods and saw these um, sort of strange-looking beings come out of it. And um, just a couple of years ago, there was a sighting of two UFOs flying at high speed across the waters of Loch Ness, and this actually made all the British newspapers. It was big news for about a week or so. Wow. And do any of these, you know weird supernatural things do any of these things make people afraid of visiting Loch Ness instead of because I know it's a really big Mm -hmm. tourist site but does it also kind of it's also a put off at the same time it is a little bit because although you know on a nice summer's day a sunny day Loch Ness sort of looks like a cool normal lake but certainly when uh, the sun set it gets quite creepy 
Um, and a number of people have, have noticed that they get this sort of a strange, unsettling vibe from the lock. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to give you an example, as I said, it's a very large body of water, but the water is very black, and it's caused by the, the dark soil that when it rains, it, it just go, runs into the water, and over the centuries, it's turned the water pretty much very, very dark and black. So, you know, mm-hmm. the water looks strange, and there are three or four old ruined castles on the shore, so it kind of looks a bit like um, sort of a monster's story um, combined with Harry Potter. You know, you have these sort of magicians <laughs> and old castles, and uh, so it does have sort of a spooky atmosphere to it, and a lot of people have felt that. They've felt that, you know, they're standing on the edge of the lock looking out, and the sort of the hairs on the back of their neck start to stand up. So, uh, yeah, a lot of people do get this sort of weird uh, vibe, as I said, from it. Yeah, like, I know for me, like, whatever I feel like in my gut, like, of a vibe of a place, Mm -hmm. it's usually probably authentic to me. So it's just so interesting just hearing, like, just the imagery that goes through my head of thinking of Loch Ness Mm -hmm. is very sort of magical, paranormal. And there was also a story of the exorcism of Loch Ness in the 1970s. Could you explain Uh that a bit more? Oh, yeah. Well, this was done by a priest named Donald Omond in 1974. And Donald Omond was, was someone who had a big interest in the stories of the Loch Ness Monster. And like a number of researchers, he came to believe that the Loch Ness Monsters weren't just unknown animals. He felt that there was something much stranger about them. And as a result, in 1974, uh, with a, a Nessie hunter named Ted Holliday, the two of them went out onto the lock, actually with a BBC team as well. And um, they, ex- they did an exorcism to try and banish the creature from the lock. Now, wow. in, in some respects, you know, it was seen as, as a bit of a publicity stunt because the BBC were there filming it, you know, and it was sort of a like a, a strange but interesting news story. Um, but Donald Ullman took it very, very seriously and felt that these creatures were sort of evil and had to be get, gotten rid of. Um, so again, this sort of demonstrates sort of the, the strange nature of the story of the Loch Ness Monster. Hmm, interesting. And so um, in addition to that... Um you know, you were talking about the evidence before with all the pictures and stuff. So what are your opinions on the many and varied photos purporting to show a messy? Well, yeah, I mean, some of them we have to be a little bit critical of because I, for the most part, I don't think people have hoaxed things, although there have been a few. But sometimes Loch Ness, the, the waters are sort of very wild and churning at times. And sometimes you get sort of a wave um, image and a wake image that makes it kind of almost look like a, a hump coming out of the water, but it's actually just the water rolling itself. And a few yeah. pictures have been taken that at first glance sort of look really cool. But, <clears throat> excuse me, but then when you look at them again, you can sort of see how... Um, you know, they are actually a wave. However, in saying that, as I said, there are somewhere between 15 and 20 really good pictures where, you know, when you see, for example, like a large neck coming out of the water and then 15 feet behind it, you have this humped back. Yeah. It's very hard to describe that or as anything other than what it seems to be, you know. Um, it looks like what it is. And so those sort of pictures are 
extremely difficult to write off and a lot of them have you know really stood the test of time that they haven't been proven to be hoaxed um there's no sort of double exposures or anything like that but they really do, mm. do seem to show large animals in the luck yeah mm. and like with all of these sightings and all the books that you've written for and researched are there any creatures that you actually have witnessed yourself such as bigfoot ufos <laughs> Well, the closest I've come to it, um, I go on a lot of Bigfoot expeditions, and one of the things about Bigfoot is that they have this, in many reports, they have this sort of large, creepy, howling noise that they make, which supposedly they, they do it when they know people are around, and it's designed to sort of scare people off. And a couple of times when I've been deep in the woods, I've actually heard this particular type of howling, which is like a very long howl, you know, just goes mm-hmm. on and on and on. Um, and you get these reports, particularly in like the Pacific North, uh, Northwest, like around Seattle, um, uh, you know, and further up towards the Canadian border. We get a lot of reports like that where it seems that these creatures know when we're around and they intimidate and try and force people out of the area by making these sort of loud howling noises, which I guess for a lot of people, you know, would pretty much terrify them. But for me, it kind of, mm. I kind of get that sort of adrenaline rush where it pushes me on further. You know, I don't want to come all this way and then run away. You know what I mean? You want to yeah, you right. keep looking for it. So I've had those experiences. And I've also found a lot, um, like, for example, large prints, footprints. I've actually got plaster casts um, of some oh. of these prints, you know, where the, the footprints are sort of like, like 12 inches, 13 inches long, you know, looking human-like, but much bigger than a, than a human foot, you know, which, which is why it's called Bigfoot. So. Huh. Interesting. So, you know, when you kind of experience all this, like, almost mm-hmm. paranormal stuff, what, like, when you experience the howling, what did you do? Did you, like, run away or did you, like, trace it or something? Oh, no, I tried to figure out where it was coming from. You know, I always go equipped, as I said, with night vision equipment and and large and powerful flashlights. You know, I don't want to go all the way to the Pacific Northwest and hear something and then you know, yeah. uh, chicken out and, you know, yeah. no, it pushes, for me, it pushes me on further. I want to get the answers, you know, for me, it's exciting and it's adrenaline pumping rather than, oh, I've got to get out here. No, that, that's sort of not my approach. <laughs> so like from all these experiences, from mm-hmm. tracing Bigfoot and hearing these like screams and seeing these mm-hmm. huge footprints, do you think Bigfoot exists? I actually do, and one of the reasons why I always tell people that it's highly possible they do exist is because a lot of people don't realize this, but, you know, most people, if not everybody, has seen a gorilla, whether in a zoo or on TV. But the Mm -hmm. African gorilla was not sort of formally identified for what it was until just over 200 years ago. And the first giant, you know, the first giant panda, you know, everybody's seen a panda. Um, The first giant panda wasn't brought from China to the West until early in the 20th century. Until then, which is less than, you know, 100 years ago, less than 100 years ago, nobody outside of China had ever seen a panda. And both the gorilla and the panda are large animals. So I think it's entirely possible when you look at the huge forests um, of the Pacific Northwest, it's entirely possible that there could be colonies of these creatures hiding out there because most people never go out into the forest, you know, 30 or 40 miles where most of the reports actually come from. Yeah, that totally makes sense. You know, I think um, 
a lot of these suppose like I think I don't know all of us when we first hear these kinds of the names of these creatures we think like it's mythological but in fact it's actually you know relative to what we've seen throughout history with yeah. like, pandas and all of that you know it might not really be mythological well thank you so much nick for this great talk your work is truly amazing um so pick up a copy of nick's book nessie exploring the supernatural origins of the loch ness monster at your favorite bookstore sadly we oh, are out you. of time yeah well, no thanks problems. guys thanks a lot <laughs> Yeah, it was good to have you on the show. Um, sadly, we are out of time, though. And so thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be the Star You Are, and our Voice America Kids crew, especially our engineer, Matt. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world. And thank you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Zara Hassanane. And I'm Maria Wong. Please check out Nick's Twitter at Nick Redfern UFO. You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For more information on our creative community, go to btysa.org and our main website at bethestarur.org. Until next week, remember, be kind, be unique, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. Produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines. If you would let yourself go